بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد کریم الحمد للہ ٹوئنٹی سکس آف نومبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوئنٹی of the blessed surah al-mu'minun and i've reached verse 73 so inshallah today going through up to and including verse 77 so verse 73 of the billahim and shaitan rajeem bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim and verily you sallallahu alayhi wa sallam you call them to the straight path so here allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions sirat so what exactly is the straight path so there's a few meanings given by the self so this is all mentioned in the various books of tafsir imam siyuti in his adur al-mantur hafi shawqani ibn atiyah ibn adil abu hayyan and many others and they mention that the self have described the straight path in different ways Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and Sayyidina Ali radiyallahumma amongst others they said that the straight path is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so one meaning of Sirat al-Mustaqim is the Quran the second meaning as mentioned by Abdullah ibn Abbas and Abdullah uh, ibn Mas'ud they said it refers to Islam so the straight path is Islam Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyah rahmatullahi he said that the straight path is the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Abu al-Aliya and Hassan al-Basri rahimahumullah they stated that the straight path is Rasulullah himself sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the two shaykhs after him Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhu Mujahid rahmatullahi said that the straight path is the truth. Sa'id ibn Jubair rahmatullahi he said that the straight path is the path to paradise. And Bakr ibn Abdullah al-Muzani rahmatullahi he said that the straight path is the way of the Prophet i.e. his sunnah. So why is there so much divergence over Sirat al-Mustaqim? And the scholars point out in the work The Spiritual Cure page 143 all of these opinions are correct and they are consistent why? for whoever follows Islam has followed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and the two khalifs whoever followed them has followed the truth whoever follows the truth has followed the Quran etc etc so all of that is what the scholars have mentioned however There's a direct report. So the hadith is in Tirmidhi, number 76. Ahmadin is Muslim, number 17,634 to 36. And he was declared Hassan Gharib by Imam Tirmidhi. And Imam Hakim in his Mustadrak, number 245, stated Sahih. Imam Zahabi agreed, as did Shaykh Al-Bani, Rahmatullahi. So Sayyidina Nawaz ibn Sam'an, he relates that our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set forth the following example. There is a road that leads straight to the destination. On either side of the road, there is a wall in which there are open doors with curtains hanging on them. So stop in the report. So you've got to try and picture this. So obviously a straight road and it's heading towards the destination. And there's on the side of each road, there's walls. So you look to your right and left, you see walls. And there's open doors, meaning they're not closed. But there's a curtain over the open doors. Then the Prophet said, From the remote end of the road, a caller is calling out. Proceed straight. Do not look to the side. Whenever someone intends to lift a curtain from the door, Another voice calls from above, Beware, do not lift the curtain, otherwise you will be tempted inside. So, stopping the report, there's two callers. One is at the end of the road, and he's saying, Come, don't look to each side. And then if you intend to just have a look inside the curtain, a voice from the heaven says, Don't lift the curtain, otherwise you will be destroyed. The hadith continues. The Prophet ﷺ himself explained the parable. And he said, the straight path is Islam. So the path that you're on is Islam. The walls on either side are the limits imposed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning you can maneuver between the walls, but you can't maneuver outside the walls. The open doors, which have curtains over them, are the things that are haram. So whatever is haram is behind each of those curtains. The voice which calls from the end of the road is the Qur'an. And what is the Qur'an saying? Proceed straight, do not turn aside. And the voice which calls from the above, I, when you intend to turn to the haram, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's monitor in the heart of every believer. I, the gift that Allah ta'ala gives you. When you know that it is wrong, you think I shouldn't be doing this. So this is the hadith. How is it related to the verse? Because what did the Prophet say? He said, there is a road that leads straight to the destination. The straight path. And what did he himself say is the straight path? Islam. So look how beautiful. Rasulullah didn't just give you the answers. He gave you images. And this is also very important to highlight because you won't forget when you have an image. So even after, inshallah, we finish the session, you'll remember some of that. Right? And this is what the Prophet would do. Encouraging the da'is to do this as well, sallallahu alayhi wa So here, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? You, sallallahu alayhi wa you call them to the straight path. So if a person queries what is the straight path, you can mention whatever. But directly from the Prophet, it seems to indicate it's Islam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Verse 74. And verily, those who believe not in the hereafter, are deviating from that path or that way. So belief in the hereafter is obviously Iman. But there's a very interesting thing which is mentioned by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And he said something very pregnant. So he said, the hadith is in Hakim in his Mustadrak number 3033, Ibn Abi Hatim number 66. I swear by the one besides whom there is no other God, 
no one has believed in anything better than believing in the unseen. <laughs> I swear by the one besides whom there is no other God, no one has believed in anything better than believing in the unseen. So look how amazing a statement. He swears an oath. So what do you believe in? You know, you ask a person, what's your, because do you believe in your mother and father? Of course, I said, without them, I wouldn't be here. You believe in everything you see. If somebody goes, do you believe in something you can't see? Because how can I believe in that? I haven't seen it. Ibn Masood said, no one has believed in anything better than believing in the unseen. Why? Because everything which is great is in the unseen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu He's in the unseen. The prophets. Alayhi salatu So this indicates that this is critical. I.e. for you to function as a human being. If a person does not believe in the unseen. Because he's not a good person. Why? Because there is nothing to stop him. I from swerving. So what does Allah the Almighty and Glory say in verse 74? Those who do not believe in the Akhirah, they are deviating from the path. So this is important. Why? Because you get some people, they say, you know, I'm a good person, but I don't believe in God. Can he be a good person? And the response is no, because the Quran is saying they are deviating. How can a deviant be a good person? So this is why we have articles of Iman, without which you're not a Muslim. And every one of them is critical for you to function properly. So for example, just to mention without swerving too much, why would a miser be wrong in his lifestyle if he doesn't believe in the hereafter? Argue with him. He doesn't believe in the hereafter. So then you say, why are you a miserly? Because what's he going to do with you? Because you should give to the poor. Because you give to the poor. Why should I give? How are you going to argue with this? He doesn't believe in the hereafter. In fact, that now sounds intelligent. So what is causing him to have that mindset? He doesn't believe in the hereafter. He's swerving. He's deviating. So there's the corruption. So Allah Ta'ala is mentioning beautifully, you call to the straight path. But those who don't believe in the hereafter, they're swerving. Verse 75. If, and verse 75 and 6 go together. If we had mercy on them and removed the distress which is on them, they would obstinately persist in their transgression, wandering in distraction to and fro. Verse 76. We inflicted punishment upon them, but they humbled themselves not to their Lord, nor do they submissively entreat Him. So now what is this in reference to? So verse 75 and 6 is referring to an incident. Allah Ta'ala is saying, if we had mercy, we remove their distress, they would still persist in their, sh in their devilish activities. So, what is that in reference to? This is a Makkan Surat. The famine referred to must be that described by Ibn Kathir as having occurred in the eighth year of the Makkan period about four years before the Hijrah. So in a nutshell, what's happened? Because the Surat is Makkah, this thing that Allah Ta'ala is referring to, this punishment, 
He goes, they won't be humbled by this punishment. It has to be in the Makkah period. So what was the punishment which humbled them? And they should have been humbled. And it was the famine. Now what's shocking about the time period? It was around the eighth year of the Makkah period. Now why is that very interesting? Because from the year 7 to 10 of the Makkah period, they boycotted the Muslims. So who were starving? The Muslims. The Prophet they boycotted them. They were forced to eat leaves and so on and so forth. Allah afflicted them with something. Now what were they afflicted with? So in a hadith, so this is recorded in Nasai, Hakim in his Mustadrak 2-394, Behaki, Ibn Jarir, Ibn Abi Hatim, Abdul Razak Al-Bidaya, Sayyid Hadith. Abdullah ibn Abbas he said Abu Sufyan he came to Rasulullah and said Ya Muhammad I ask you by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by the ties of kinship between us we have been reduced to eating camel hair and blood upon this Allah the Almighty revealed verse 76 we inflicted punishment upon them, but they did not humble themselves. So look how amazing. They were being boycotted. They were being tortured. Look how humiliating it was for them. For Abu Sufyan to think, I have to go to Muhammad and what we've done to him. He went to him, imagine. And even though the Prophet would have said, don't you feel ashamed coming to me after what you are inflicting upon us and the believers of the Banu Hashim? He made dua for them. <laughs> because he's Rahmatullah <laughs> What happened? They still persisted. They didn't even lift the boycott. <laughs> Allah Ta'ala says they did not humble themselves. <laughs> Meaning, look at these, you know, diehard unbelievers. Ibn Katir, he added here, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he supplicated against the Quraysh when he could not make any headway and his dua was, O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, help me against them by sending on them seven years of famine like the seven years of drought of Yusuf <laughs> So what happened? The Prophet specifically made this dua. He goes, give them this drought that was given to the time of Yusuf seven years. So it would have lasted seven years. Now if it started in the eighth, that means it would have finished four years after the Hijrah. If it went the normal way. But because they approached the Prophet he made another dua and it ended. Now think about this. How black must your heart be? You've afflicted the Prophet and then you're going to him. Well, hang on a minute. If you're going to him, that means you believe he's a prophet. He's afflicted us. So you go to him. Imagine the state of humility you're in. Because you say, keep ties. You say this and that. You're breaking ties. Couldn't the prophet have said, who's the one talking? He makes a dua. It's lifted. So now you should have thought, now we know he's the prophet. Still persisting. So when you say die hard on believers, you got to go back to the seed. You can't get more diehard than them. And only when they were literally humbled, when Makkah fell, that most of them embraced Islam. And even then, some diehard still persisted with it. So there's lessons you can take from this. So this is the context here, with regards to these, these verses. But there's also another 
thing which is mentioned. So the report is in Bukhari and Muslim and is from Abu Huraira radiallahu and he said Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he sent a number of horsemen in the direction of Najd the horsemen carried out their mission and they returned with a prisoner from the Banu Hanifa tribe this particular prisoner was no ordinary catch for he was Fumama ibn Ufal Grand Chieftain of the people of Yamama. So stopping the report. So Rasulullah sent a kind of a party out and they caught a man and they didn't realize who he was. They just thought he was a normal person. But he was actually the Grand Chief of the people of Yamama. This was a powerful tribe. He was their chief. So they brought him. Once in Al-Madinah, the prisoner was tied to a column of the masjid. So Rasulullah looked at him and he knew who he was. And he goes, tie him up. But where did he tie him? This is very interesting. Could have tied him anywhere. He goes to one of the trunk, the palm trees in the masjid holding the, the structure up. So he's tied up. Rasulullah then let him stay there. He later went to him and said, Oh, Thumama, what is it that you have with you? So Thumama, he said, Oh, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa what I have with me is good. If you kill me, you will be killing a man of blood. So this is the eloquence of Fumama. What did he mean by that? He goes, I have with me good. If you kill me, you will be killing a man of blood. The scholars state, this has two meanings. First, he said, I am a man of noble lineage. My blood is valuable. And secondly, because of my standing amongst my people, my death will be avenged. And I am a man who has a lot of blood on his hands. So there is no blame upon you if you kill me. <laughs> so this is the eloquence of the others. They say things and we have to break it down. <laughs> so he's basically given his complete CV to the Prophet. And he's at the same time saying, look, you've got options. <laughs> then he said, if you show me kindness, you'll be showing kindness to a grateful person. And if you want wealth, all you have to do is ask. You'll be given whatever you want. <laughs> The Prophet smiled and left him. <laughs> he did not visit the prisoner again for the rest of the day. So he's still tied to the masjid post. <coughs> the next day, this is the second day, he returned. <laughs> he asked for Mama the same question. Is all for Mama? What is it that you have with you? And he responded exactly the same. Again, the Surah smiled. He left him. <laughs> he did not visit him for the rest of the day. On the third day, Rasulullah asked the same question a third time. What is it that you have with you? And he responded the same. So how many days has he been in the masjid? Though? Three days. Enforced to take off. The third time, Rasulullah didn't, didn't leave him. Instead, he said to the companions, Release Thumam. Having been untied, Fumama was now a free man. He could go about freely as he chose. In a move that must have come as a surprise to the, all the companions, Fumama showed no hesitation in what he wanted to do. He went to a dead palm tree that was near the masjid. He took a bath. He re-entered the masjid and he said in a loud voice, 
This is sunnah. Some say wajib, that when a person embraces Islam, he needs to have a bath. And they look at this report to prove this. Where did he have a bath? Not in the masjid. So that shows he's not a Bedouin. He went to a dead palm tree next to the masjid. Meaning, you know, privacy. He came back, he took the shahad. For Muhammad then said, O Muhammad, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, throughout the lands, there was no face that was more despised by me than your face. And yet, now your face has become the most beloved of all faces to me. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there was no religion that was more hated by me than your religion. And yet now your religion has become the most beloved to me of all religions. And by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there was no city that I despised more than your city. And yet now your city is the most beloved of all cities to me. Mm. So stop in the report. This is the classic unbeliever. He doesn't know nothing about Islam. So what does he say? I hate the Prophet. I hate Islam. And that city where he came from needs to be erased to the ground. What changed him? Again, the Muslim sleeping. You show him... You show them what Islam is. And what happens? Draw drops. We didn't know this is Islam. We thought you went around bombing people. Right? Marrying six-year-olds. This is what we thought Islam was. Right? So what happened? He responded. He changed everything. He goes, you're the most beloved to me now. Just like the Kofar when they embrace Islam. You hated the Prophet. He goes, no, no, no. Because I love him too much now. Why? He just wake up and just had, you know, something happens. He heard somebody told him about Islam. The city and he said all this. Then Thumama said, Verily when your horsemen apprehended me, I was on my way to perform Umrah. So what do you think I should do now? Ya Rasulullah. He's chief and he's thinking, I was doing Jahiliya Umrah. So what, what's the situation? The Prophet gave him glad tidings and commanded him, he goes, perform your Umrah. When Thumama left, he arrived in Makkah. News had spread already. Look how quickly news spreads. This is 300 miles away. And somebody approached him because have you abandoned your religion? Thumama said, No. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I have embraced Islam in the company of Rasulullah. And by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not a grain of wheat will come to you from your mama. Without Rasulullah's permission. So this shows his brilliance. So Muhammad knew he's in the lion's mouth. And he knew that these people only understand money. And he said, not a single grain is going to come from Yamamana without permission of the Prophet. So Muhammad spoke bluntly, in spite of his answer, the people of Makkah did not raise a finger to harm him. Why? Because they feared him. They had every reason to do so, for he was the chief of a large and powerful tribe. Most of all, they became afraid because of his threat. Makkah did not grow its own food. 
they relied heavily on food shipments that came from other parts of Arabia, particularly from Yamama. So this is again, even Abu Jahl, Abu Lahab, they, were, uh, they couldn't do anything because we take him out, we take ourselves out. For Mama meant what he said. When he returned from his ummah to his native land, he issued a decree. He goes, all food stuff stops to Makkah. When the shipment stops arriving in Makkah, the leaders of the Quraysh thought that Rasulullah was responsible for the embargo. They go, hang on a minute. He goes, so Mama wouldn't do that without the Muhammad's you know, decree. As such, they wrote a letter to him. And this was the letter. You order people to join times of kingship, yet you have cut off relations from us. You have killed the fathers with the sword. You are now killing the sons with the weapon of hunger. <laughs> Rasulullah then wrote a letter to Thumab. He goes, stop the embargo. Cease. Let the food reach. I Makkah. This is also in Ibn Hisham in his Sirah 3-317 and Fat al-Bari 8-88. So now, what is Allah going to do with these verses? In Al-Isaba, Hafiz Ibn Hajar Asqalani, Ibn Manda as well, that Ibn Abbas said, the story of Thumamah's embracing Islam, how he returned to Yamama and blocked the food, was the reason for the revelation of verse 76. So what does it say in verse 76? We indeed seize them with punishment, but they humbled themselves not to their Lord, nor did they invoke with submission to Him. So, stopping the report. I thought it was to do with the famine. So, there's two reasons for the revelation of these verses. One was the famine in Makkah in the eighth year or so, and the Prophet made a dua, the famine left. The second was for Mama. <laughs> so does that mean that this verse was revealed twice? It could have. But it may have just been revealed once and the Prophet recited it again. So now, why is that shocking? Because either way, why did they not submit? They should have thought a chieftain of the likes of Banu Hanifas embraced Islam. And look at disaster and now we've you know, humiliation again. You have to like, you know, say, look, even though we're killing you, we're sending armies against you, please stop this. And he stopped it again. They still persisted. So Allah is saying, they won't submit. I'm giving them warnings. They're not submitting. Now, Thumama. In Al-Isaba 1-203, Thumama enjoyed great success in his efforts to spread Islam amongst his people. But, Upon the passing of Rasulullah the inhabitants of Yamama apostatized. Why? Because of Musaylima. Musaylima was from there as well. Thumama was greatly saddened by the sudden evil, but he was in the minority now. He was unable to effect any significant change. Yet in spite of the danger, Thumama remained steadfast. He gathered the people who followed him, led them away from Yamama. He joined Al-Ala ibn al-Hadrami and fought amongst the apostates, against the apostates of Bahrain. So he joined the apostasy wars. So note, Thumama radiyallahu his life was another amazing life of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah revealed it here. So now, look how beautiful. Verse 73, 
you call them to the straight path. Mm-hmm. Verse 74. Those who don't believe in the hereafter, they're swerving. <laughs> then Allah Ta'ala gives you an example. <laughs> he goes, look, goes, look at them. Look what they're doing to you, my beloved. Look what you're doing in turn. And they're still transgressing, being distracted, refusing to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse 77. Until we open on them a gate leading to a severe punishment, then lo, they will be plunged in despair therein. So now it's very important to highlight the word gate. So Allah has now threatened the coalition. We're going to open for them a gate leading to adab and shadid, a severe punishment. They're going to be plunged into despair. So now what's interesting, if you go back, just 13 verses, verse 64, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Until when we seize in punishment those of them who receive the good things of this world, Behold, they will groan in supplication. So Allah is saying, I'm going to give them the good of the world. And then I'm going to take them out. And then they're going to groan in supplication, meaning they refuse to do it. I'm going to put them on their knees. But it's going to be too late. So now why does Allah refer to a gate? Until we open on them a gate. And like I mentioned, this is in reference to Istidraj, Surah 6, verse 44. So in Surah An'am, Surah 6, verse 44, the hadith. The hadith is in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, number 17,313, Behaki Tabarani, 17-283, Ibn Jarir in his Tafsir, number 13,272, Hafiz Zahabi in his Qaba'ir, Mishqat. Uqba Ibn Amr, he relates that our beloved Messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving a servant whatever of the dunya he wants, despite his disobedience, then know that this is istidraj. And then the Prophet recited this verse, Surah 6 verse 44. When they forgot the warning they received, we open to them abwab. We open to them the gates of good things. Until in the midst of the enjoyment of our gifts, we call them to account. Lo, they were then plunged into despair. Subhanallah. So what did the Prophet say? If a person refuses to submit after they've given enough, Allah Ta'ala then, he gives them rope to hang themselves. He gives them everything. And then they go to deluded state. We're the chosen ones. We are the special ones. Allah Ta'ala goes, yes, you are the special ones for hell. And then when the moment they least expect, he takes them. And this is istidraj. Now what word does Allah Ta'ala use in this verse? We open to them the gates. He uses the same word. Well, that gate isn't a good gate. And also, Hassan al-Basri, he said, in Ibn Abi Hatim, Ibn Kathir, Abdul al-Mantur, whoever Allah Ta'ala gives provision, and he does not think he's being tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has no wisdom. And whoever has little provision and thinks Allah Ta'ala will not look after him, he has no wisdom. He then recited this verse. Then he added, by the Lord of the Kaaba, Allah Ta'ala deceived these people when he gave them what they wished and then they were punished. So here, Hassan al-Basri added something. 
He said, if Allah gives you rizq and you don't realize you're being tested, you're also a fool. <laughs> so it's the opposite. So you get it. You should think, Alhamdulillah, but you should think this is also a test. And when Allah holds back his rizq and you think Allah is not going to look after you, you also got no wisdom. <coughs> so when you think, what's happening? Everything is just getting, I'm losing everything. If you think for the moment Allah is not going to look after you, he goes, you're just as foolish. He goes, then he recited this verse. He goes, don't ever think like this, like the unbelievers. Unfortunately, Muslims sleeping, not studying Quran. So here, verse 64, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Until when we seize in punishment those of them who receive the good things of this world, behold, they will groan in supplication. Allah then warns the Quraysh. He goes, you are given it a chance after chance. If you refuse, you will be punished severely. And some ulama said this is in reference to Badr. Because Badr was the forecast. But Allah knows best. So I'll recite the verse. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإنك لا تدؤهم إلى صراط مستقيم وإن الذين لا يؤمنون بالآخرة عن الصراط قل ناقبون وَلَوْ رَحِمْنَاهُمْ وَكَشَفْنَا مَا بِهِمْ مِنْ دُرِّ لَلَّجُّوا فِي تُغْيَانِهِمْ يَعْمَهُونَ وَلَقَدْ أَخَذْنَاهُمْ بِالْعَذَابِ فَمَسَّقَانُ لِلَّبِّهِمْ وَمَا يَتَدَرَّعُونَ حَدَّا إِذَا فَتَحْنَ عَلِيهِمْ بَابَا ذَا عَذَابٍ شَدِيدٍ إِذَا هُمْ فِيهِ مُبْلِسُونَ we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He makes the Qur'an the Rabi of our hearts. And I pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He forgives me for any errors which I may have inadvertently uttered. Subhanahu wa ta'ala 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 subhanahu wa ta'